This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie Deschal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. I, I, I spent a lot of time developing the idea of surgically accurate prayers. And, and, and I, I took it from the idea of how in uh, the, the most recent wars that the U.S. has fought, they uh, began to do something called smart bombs. Smart bombs are surgically accurate. They can go in and they can take out an enemy, uh, 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 in fact, an individual target without doing collateral damage or very little collateral damage because they're so accurate. The enemy countered that by building deep bunkers. So the uh, armed forces came back and they began to have bombs called bunker busters that would be able to be not only surgically accurate, but penetrate deep into the ground and bust open these bunkers. Uh, I, I, I just, when I saw that, and, and this, this goes all the way back to the Afghanistan war when I wrote the book, but when I saw that, God began to speak to me uh, in, in what I would only describe as kind of like an open vision, that what he wants for the church are to have those bunker buster kind of prayers. Surgically accurate, but very powerful, able to deeply penetrate into the strongholds of our enemies. And uh, today I want to talk about the idea of us being penetrating, not just in our prayer life, but in our lives as well. And, and, and I think that, you know, the idea behind penetration or the word how to, how, to, how to penetrate our enemy is as forceful as being surgically accurate and very powerful in prayer. And uh, the word penetrate is derived from the Latin word penetro, and it means a point uh, it's meaning to enter, to pass into the interior as to penetrate a country. It also means to work behind enemy lines. It means to break through the enemy lines or to penetrate into enemy territory. Pretty powerful idea, ideal behind that. And uh, the, uh, again, when you, when you think of some of the allied forces fighting in the Middle East and some of the things that... Uh, we learn as we study and watch what they do, one of the things they talk about is what gives the allies the ability to penetrate into a country unassailed, other than with land forces, is what's something that we know today as air supremacy. Now, there's two kinds of air battles. When you have air superiority, that means that you have superior equipment, superior uh, uh, jets and bombers and things like that, and you can control the airways. But when you have air supremacy, that means that nothing flies except your aircraft. And in the Middle East, they had air supremacy. And because of that, they were able to literally do whatever they wanted to, and nothing else could fly into their territory. So there was no air battle. The air battle had been taken care of. That gave them not only air supremacy, but gave them ground su supremacy because they could now put drones up, they could now see, they could now direct things without any interference. So powerful was this that all of the radar of the enemy was totally taken out. They never knew when they were coming, they never knew when they were leaving. That's what it means to have air supremacy. So when I think of that, I think of if we're going to penetrate our enemy's territory, wouldn't it be interesting if we also had air supremacy? Now God says he's given us power and authority over all the forces of the prince of the power of the air. He's given us the ability to, on this earth, wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual forces and wickedness. His work of Calvary, the enemy's defeat through our prayer lives and through obtaining, I believe, air supremacy. I would settle for air superiority at this stage of the game because I believe that the enemy has greater superiority than the church does at this time. I think that the enemy understands spiritual warfare greater than we do. I think he understands territory better than we do. And for the most part, I think the church has lacked in this area. But I do believe that God can open our eyes and open our understanding. And I believe it's time to start knocking out the enemy's radar. I think it's time to enforce the superiority and, you know, communication is a big thing for the enemy as well as for 
the church. And uh, I know this, once we can engage at that level, uh, I, know, I know that it was very easy for the armed forces, the allies, to attack, to uh, deploy their ground troops, and it was far less risky for them. Uh, and they were able to have rapid and deep penetration into enemy territory. And I believe that that's the season that we're coming into, and if... Uh, you are grasp my analogy there, I believe, that, and if you can extrapolate that, I think that you'll see that that's what I'm talking about, that God wants us to come into a place of dominion, dominion. Now, uh, I think that we often think of prayer simply as a breakthrough or maybe piercing through the shell of resistance. Uh, sometimes it's far more than just a breakthrough that's needed. We need a penetration. We need to go into deep into the enemy's territory and rout our enemy. Uh, and I, when I think of our prayer life and I think of how we pray, uh, I, I, I know that we're very uh, good at individual prayer. But I, I don't believe we're going to see the kind of power, the kind of Enforcement and the kind of penetration until we learn to uh, really join together in unity in corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is going to give us increased thrust, increased ability to go further and do more. And, you know, I understand how. And, and many of you are involved in different prayer movements and things like that. And, I, and, I, and I'm not trying to criticize any time we pray. I think that we need to pray. But I think we need to also understand that sometimes we weaken our own prayer movements and our own prayer lives. And, 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 and while I teach you, I'm going to stop and I'm going to be as practical as I can. We have prayer movements that have illegitimate or... I don't want to be discouraging, but sometimes ill-advised leadership in them. I, I, I think of some of the prayer movements that have come to our country where somebody from the outside of our nation comes and they come and they say, well, we want to pray with you. And then it becomes a prayer movement. And they jump to the front of the queue. They don't understand that there are prayer movements in the nation. There are people that have been praying. Uh, I think of our own church. You know, I remember, oh, 20 years ago when there was a great move around the world to have 24-hour, seven-day-a-week prayer. And everybody was all excited about it. We're going to do this. And I think there were probably 100 24-hour prayer meetings that started in the city, of which none of them run today. Because you don't start a 24-hour prayer movement. But it's ill-advised leadership. It's ill-advised way to approach things. Now, we discussed it here and I told our team and I told Pastor Nikki, I said, I want 24-hour prayer. I said, but I also understand that you don't get 24-hour prayer in 24 minutes. Or in 24 seconds. Just because you make the decision to have it. Any more than I can bench press 500 pounds in the gym. Because I want to bench press 500 pounds in the gym. See, the fact of the matter is, if I want to bench press 500 pounds, I probably never will be because I don't have that stature. But I could try. But it would take me years of working out and developing muscle structure, developing strength, developing technique in order to even think about coming to the place that one day bench pressing or lifting 500 pounds. But we violate those kind of principles all the time when it comes to spiritual matters. We think that because we wake up and have an idea that we can accomplish it. And the enemy loves that because what he does is he lets us run into these areas and we think we're penetrating the enemy's territory when in fact we're not even really piercing it. 
He may even give a little bit of ground to make you think you got a victory. So that, ooh, ooh, now you become puffed up with pride or we become, you know, ooh, we're the big. When in fact, everything I've ever studied about prayer is that it takes long, consistent, steady, progressive steps towards a goal. And periodically, you gain much ground. And I'm going to try to take us through some ideas here to where we become better prayers and we begin to understand that, first of all, prayer is not fun. It's warfare. Prayer is not enjoyable. I know some of you say, oh, I just love to pray. Well, I hate to pray. I don't know anybody that really loves to pray. It's just like I, some people say, I just love the gym. I hate the gym. I love what the gym does for me. I love what prayer does for me. But the... Hardest thing to do is to get out of that car and go up to the gym and get started. Once you get started, 30 minutes in, you're saying, yeah, 15 more, 20 more minutes. Oh, I love this. When you're out of the shower, you say, "Woo, that was great. Same as prayer. Except for you very, very spiritual people. But for us mere mortals, unlike you that walk in the rarefied atmosphere of the clouds, it's very difficult to get up in the morning and be consistent and to get out of a warm bed into a cold room and to put yourself on the floor and kneel before God and begin to pray and sometimes even war against things that you've seen very little movement. You've you've come up against an enemy many, many times and you think, is this even working? I don't know about you, I, I, I went to the gym for months, and I'd step on the scale, and i think, praise God, hallelujah. and I'd look at that scale, and i say, what the, what the heck? I, I mean, I'm eating like a rabbit. I'm working out like a, an animal, and I, whoa, I put on weight, how did I do that? Well, as it is in the gym, sometimes it is in prayer. Sometimes it is in pastoring a church. You know, I love all these young prophets. Praise God. They're going to start their church the same day they learn how to shave. But, you know, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. Look, I was 25 years old when I started preaching in Africa. I started seven churches by the time I was 27, had seven congregations, had a move of God on my hands, had no idea what I was doing. I didn't call myself a pastor, I just was, I was an evangelist and I didn't, I didn't even know what to call myself, I was just a guy that loved Jesus and was out there risking his life to lead people to Jesus. We started celebration, it was called Rhema then. When I was 27 years old. And it's easy. This is all easy. We call it our 40-year overnight success. I had a little guy come to me the other day and he, I'm going to do this. I said, praise God. And and, And you know what? I want him to. But his mindset wasn't going to help him because he thinks this just happened. A little magic, you know, a few confessions. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the building. The Praise God, I'm a prophet. No, let me tell you something. If you want what I have, you're going to have to do what I did. And sometimes you, you don't see what the price tag is on somebody's ministry. You don't understand that there were hours and days and Sometimes there was fruitlessness and there was heartache and there was pain and there were, there were things that didn't look like they were working, but you keep doing the same thing and you keep trusting and you get a word from God and you obey it. I came back from our vacation this year. Now, you would think that after 40 years of being in the country, people would think that you're here to stay. But no, no, every time I leave and I come back, everybody says, oh, you came back. 
I said, I came back. I said, what, what do you, why? why? Well, we, you know, we, 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 we thought this time. You, yeah, every time, for 40 years, and you think I'm going to leave. I'm not you. That's why God can bless me, because I do come back. Are, are you listening to me? Just tap your neighbor. Say, I think he went off notes there. I think he went off script. Where there is collective evil, its powers cannot be broken by individual intercessors, nor by silent prayer walks or some kind of spiritual mapping program. All of these are incomplete processes unless they are matched with corporate, united, and focused prayer. If we will continue to press together in the same direction, I believe that we can actually achieve an advance. Where's Isaac Jetchy? Is Isaac here? Where's Isaac? Don't tell me he's in the parking lot. Is he in the parking lot? Is Isaac here? He's here, but he's not here. Who, who do I have that's as fit and buff? Is there, do we have any? Is, here, is this Isaac coming? Brother Isaac, run down here. I should have warned you, but uh, come up here. I want you to stand right here. Now, he doesn't know what I'm going to do, so I'm gonna, I want him. I want you to illustrate something. Isaac is a martial arts guy, okay? He's, he does martial arts. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to show me how powerful you can be, okay, in punching. Okay? But no, come and stand here. Now, I want you to put your both arms up like this, and I want you to, as powerfully as you can, put all your power in each arm in the opposite direction. Just, just shoot them out there and, and just see how powerful that is. Isn't that just, isn't that powerful? Now, you know what, I know I can stand here. He could hit me with both hands doing that as hard as he wants to. It would hurt, but he wouldn't knock me out. It wouldn't hurt me that much. Now, turn around and show the kind of punch, and don't come near me, <laughs> that a martial arts person would use. Just give one kind of, you know, one of those things you do where you, where I saw you on the boat showing guys how to use your hips and, 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 and you know, you know what I'm talking about. So just, just show it the folks. Now, what you don't understand is most of you do that and you would have very little power in it. But if you really watch what he just did there, he turned and threw his hip behind that, and his whole body is behind that punch. Now, when that punch hits, I promise you, you're going to feel that. <laughs> but all day long, he can do this. <laughs> I just wonder how many times I can do that before he does that. That's okay. I, but, but you see, there, there, there's no power in this. And yet, how does the church pray? I, prom I, I promise you, if I, at the end of a prayer meeting, have... Every one of you come out the back door and tell me, what did we pray for? There will not be two of you that prayed for the same thing. Come on, sir. We all punched and prayed. <laughs> but if we can ever get you to punch like this, to pray like this. If we can ever get the body of Christ to do that. What kind of power do you think, and what kind of penetration do you think? Be 
That has a lot to do with leadership as well. It has a lot to do with those of us that call ourselves prayer leaders. What direction are we leading our churches? What direction are we leading our prayers? It has a lot to do with leadership in a nation. You know, when we can't even get leaders to get together to talk, how are we going to get together to pray? But let me tell you something, if you talk to a leader, he's, he's doing what he's doing. Just tap your neighbor and say, I, I think he's talking to you today. I think that's you, okay? You see, it's, it's one thing to pierce the shell of something, but it's quite another thing to penetrate and get behind and into something, okay? Just because enemy lines have been broken doesn't mean that we've taken territory. Penetrating prayer results in taking territory, and I believe it includes two factors, strategy and perseverance. Part of kingdom strategy is understanding the role leaders play in, accomplish, in accomplishing the penetration and perseverance that God wants. God appoints and uses leaders to direct his breakthroughs. He gives us his strategy. And he gives his strategy to apostolic leaders and prophets, true prophets. And it's up to the church to follow that given strategy. You know, as a church, I don't think our prayer movement is yet mature. It's maturing. But for Pastor Dickey, how many years have we been leading, you've been leading prayer? 21 years, 22 years now? 22, all day, every, every day prayer for 22 years. Every day prayer. With a goal in mind of 24-7 prayer. And we're taking more and more hours every day, and every year we take more ground. and more, But you can't do it overnight. But our strategy keeps changing. We keep adjusting. We keep growing. We keep maturing. And our ability to carry more weight keeps growing. This conference every year is very well attended. But our hope, and my hope this year, is that we'll come up with an even stronger strategy than we've had before. That apostolically and prophetically we'll hear something in the spirit realm that we'll be able to grasp a hold of and follow God into. Now, I know that there's a belief, and I, I said this earlier, there's a belief in the body of Christ that we're all equal. And there's a truth in that. We are all equal in Christ. But we are not all equal in authority. And not all ideas are equal. Just tap your neighbor say, we're not all equal in authority, nor in ideas. So the children of Israel, they're a pattern that we can follow. They needed God, and they needed a leader. So that they could take the land that God had promised them. So God gave them a leader named Joshua. But for them to conquer the land took a long time. It took a long time for them to conquer the land. To, and it required obedience to God's strategy. And the strategy was given through God's leaders. Joshua. Which in turn required not only trust in the leader, but it required self-sacrifice. To follow rather than to stay comfortable. It required perseverance on the part of the Israelites for the battles that they had to fight. And all the battles that followed. We all have leaders that God intends for us to follow. It's easy to follow a leader when things are going good. 
That's, that, 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 that's, that goes without saying. The hard part for both leaders and followers is both to lead and follow when the going is tough. When the situation isn't going like our well-laid plans. When our best-laid plans got ganged up on by a bunch of facts. Hard as it was, Israel had to follow Joshua's instructions in order to succeed in taking and keeping the promised land. In fact, we... Uh, Read in Luke 12, verse 32, it says, Just as God had given the promised land to the Israelites, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So God parallels what he's doing for you and I. He says, I gave the Israelites a promised land. He says, I give you the kingdom. But if we're going to obtain the kingdom, I think we need to parallel with what they did in the promised land. How many of you know that they had to conquer land without as well as land within? It's one thing to conquer an enemy without. It's another thing to conquer the enemy within. Many of you want to conquer the enemy without, but you have not yet conquered the fears, the anxieties, the worries, the things within, the iniquities within, which weakens you from being able to conquer the enemies without. Is this, just tap your neighbor and say, we know what this all is. This is prayer 101. But guys, I'm trying to create a theology for us to jump off on. If we come to a prayer conference and we don't understand, if we just think that this is just about technique of praying or, or a different kind of prayer, or we, I pray the prayer of faith or, I, or, or intercession, I, I think that we miss the deeper levels of understanding of what God is trying to accomplish through you and I in the nation, in our spheres and, and areas of, and our domains that God's given us to have dominion over and in our personal lives. I think that the similarities are noteworthy between Israel and kingdom prayer. Uh, I think sometimes we get this idea that or the notion or the perception that ownership of spiritual domains for the kingdom means somehow it's going to be handed to us on a platter. It's going to be just given to us through the mail. We're just going to receive these things. Or because I'm a Christian, praise God, I have I have all authority over all the power of the enemy. That's a great confession and that's a good start. But there's one thing of saying it and there's another thing of having it. Action and effort is required to secure ownership of anything, anywhere. With the kingdom of God, we must align ourselves with God's revealed principles of how ownership and possession works. We need to understand it belongs to us. We understand that we're entitled to it. But the current reality is that it's occupied by an enemy. Jesus did pay for it. Jesus did conquer the enemy. But the enemy is in occupation of the territory that God is telling you to conquer, to take. Just as it was for the Israelites. Jesus has overcome the powers of darkness. But we have to go up and take dominion in the, spiritually, spiritual, in, in the spiritual territory that God has given to each of us. Now God has not given all of us the same territory. But God has given the church corporately territory that can only be taken corporately. Are you listening to me? So this kingdom thinking about ownership and coming in line uh, uh, with God's purposes and God's plans is, is really in line with the thinking or in line with the children of God themselves coming into their own, coming into what God wants us to be. Uh, Romans 8 and verse 19 says it this way. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits the revelation of the sons of God. God is working in you and I so that he can reveal what it looks like for dominion to take place, for the kingdom to take place. Will we ever take over the whole world? I'm not sure that's the message I want to preach. What, what I'm saying is I do believe we're in a warfare and that we can have victory over 
enemy forces. And that we can occupy until Jesus comes. So, this is it took battles and perseverance for the Israelites to go in and obtain and take the promised land. It'll take determination and it'll take faith for the children of God. We'll need to exercise our covenant rights. We'll need to take dominion of the territories that God has allotted to us. I know that the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But I'll tell you what, that does not become a reality in your life until we occupy it, till we utilize it, till we inhabit it, till we cultivate it. We have a perfect example of it in this nation. The farm is yours and the power thereof. But let me tell you something, that farm can be yours when you go and occupy it, utilize it, cultivate it, plow it, work it, water it, weed it, harvest it. It is of absolutely no use to you or anyone else. So it is in the kingdom of God. So it is with you and I. Although we've been given all this, we have to mature ourselves. Grow. We need to exercise ourselves. We need to know how to farm. How many, how many of you know that, if I could take that illustration a little further, we have people that actually go on to the farm and they start farming have no idea how to farm. But they grew up in Zimbabwe as they say, we're rural agriculturalists. Yes, you can, anybody can farm a plot of maize, but a commercial farm is an entirely different animal. I'm not saying you couldn't become a farmer, but it's going to take a while for you to learn, and I tell you, it takes a few runs at it. Before you can conquer and take dominion and take ownership. And that's like that in every area. It's like that in business. You know, so many of you come out of university with your degree and you have all the theory of business. You're so smart. Especially our new generation up there in the balcony. They think that they can get all the answers they need right here. Knowledge and the information age is fantastic. But get me, let me tell you something. Wisdom doesn't come from this. Only knowledge. Wisdom comes through relationships. Wisdom comes by getting your hands dirty. Wisdom comes by the school of hard knocks. Wisdom comes by engaging. Is anybody listening? So it is in life, so it is in prayer. So it is in warfare, in every other area. In the New Testament, we see that everywhere Paul went, he penetrated the culture of the city or the country he pre that he preached in. Wherever he went, he shook things up. He actually penetrated culture. He did this not by spending hours in the prayer closet or prayer walking or spiritual mapping. But as he boldly preached and prayed with accompanying signs and wonders. And as he did that, it brought him face to face with the powers of darkness. Paul constantly received instruction from the Holy Spirit. It was he who said, pray without ceasing. He exerted extreme determination. And energy to accomplish his purpose. And he experienced conflict in the process. He said in Philippians 1.30, he experienced the same conflict which you are, and I. Well, he says that we, would, that we are experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. He's speaking of himself. He says... He was in prison at this time, he says, but now, he says, you are experiencing the same conflict that I experienced. As you also preach this gospel, as you also perform signs and wonders, as you also penetrate and take territory for the kingdom of God. Colossians 2.1 says it this way, for I want you to know 
what a great conflict I have fought or I have for you and those in Laodicea. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. He, he's warring, he's conflicted, and he's fighting a warfare to get this gospel preached. This is all about the penetration of territory. This is all about taking ground for the kingdom of God. To take possession of what God gave us. Paul was exercising control and influence in the spiritual realm in his domain as an apostle to specified regions. And as he did, there was a resultant surge of demonic reaction to his action. It's been said that Nero's persecution was hell's response to Paul's teaching and preaching. And I believe there's a truth to that. Paul effectively penetrated the region of Asia Minor for the kingdom of God. And the effects of his ministry are felt even till this day. His life, his ministry, brought about an expansion of the kingdom of God that was significant, but it was also defining. And I believe that if we're going to see this end time move of the Holy Spirit that God wants for us now, as we enter into this new season, this new decade, this new year, the year of pay, the year of speaking and proclaiming, I believe it's got to be with a united voice. I, I believe it has to be something that God can mobilize his church, his people into. And so I'm believing for that. But one of the keys is the power of perseverance. The principle of perseverance is central to penetration, is central to success, is central to building anything. I always love the missionaries that come to this country. Certain organizations, their missionaries come and they find out that I'm an American and that I've been here for a while and so they come and they present me their credentials and I, and I love these people, I have to tell you. And I'll never forget, and, and, and I, what I call it is the passing parade. And they come and they, uh, I'll never forget this one little family, they came and they uh, were with a certain organization, a, a mission group, and they were well funded and they came and, you know, they presented their credentials, their little children and them and uh, us four no more. And I, I said, well, hey, if there's anything we can do, let us know. I said, you know, I, I, the last group of missionaries I was friends with and the ones before that I knew and the one before that I worked with and the one before that was the son of the guy who was the head of it and he's now your boss and he's living in South Africa. And I, so I, knew, I know the whole organization. Anyway, they, they're bright-eyed and, you know, well, we're, Africa's going to be changed. We're going to change Africa. I'm thinking, I don't know. Africa's been here a long time. A lot of missionaries have come and a lot of missionaries have gone. I don't see Africa changing that much, but... Praise God, knock yourself out. You know, and, and I don't want to, you never want to spoil someone's zeal. But zeal without knowledge is foolishness, okay? So I'm just looking at them and thinking, okay, praise the Lord. I said, I said well, uh, I, I said, uh, and in my mind I'm thinking, well, I'll see you in about four years and you're leaving. So uh, they tell me what they're doing and how they're going to do it. And I have never heard any of this before. So I'm thinking, oh, well, praise God, praise God. The next time I see them is two years later. They are on a flight, and I'm putting my bag up, and I see them putting their, flight, their bags up, and I say, oh, and they look haggard. They look worn out. I say, oh, I said, I haven't seen you since you saw me, I saw you in your office. How's the work going? We're leaving. We're getting out of this place. We're, and every time he'd say, we're, he'd put his bag up, we're leaving, we're, we're getting out, we're, we're, we're I'm saying, wait, 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 what happened to changing Africa? What happened to that bright little couple? And can I tell you something? Perseverance. Perseverance. You know, my mentor was a guy named Dr. Lester Summerall, and I think I've told this story, but I'll tell it again because I like telling it. Dr. Summerall. I'll never forget, I went back. I was discouraged. I went back. You have to understand, I was a young man. I wasn't married yet, but I went back to 
America. And, I mean, you have to understand, I had been made a prohibitive immigrant. The pastors of the city, had turned, a couple of them had turned against me. I had just handed over seven of the churches I'd started to an organization, and they didn't have enough pastors to take care of them, and they were trying to import people, and they did, these pastors didn't care about those churches. They didn't care about those farmers. Some of them were just new Bible school students, and all they wanted was their start, and they, were, they weren't going to stay. They weren't going to last. And, and I'm grieving. I'm like, I'm upset. And, I can, and, and I'm told I can't come back to the country. And I go, and I'm on television with Dr. Summerall. And he's asking me these crazy, stupid questions. And afterwards, I'm totally discouraged. And he had a principle. He said, in the morning, we eat breakfast like a king. Lunchtime, you eat lunch like a prince. And at dinner, you eat like a pauper. And we were having our pauper dinner. <laughs> and we had a place called Honkers of all places. It's a restaurant down from the church. And we're having a bowl of soup and a crust of bread. And it's a very somber meeting. And I'm rambling on about how discouraged I am. And I'm, you know, how tough it is in Africa. And how I don't know if I'm going to go back. And I just am spewing out everything I said I shouldn't last night. This old man just sat there sipping his soup, didn't look up, nothing, just take a crust of bread, dip it, eat it, sip his soup. And about halfway through his bowl of soup, he put his spoon down, he put his hands on the table, and he looked up into my eyes, and he had these piercing blue eyes. And he said, young man, perseverance always outlasts persecution." Can I tell you something? From that moment onwards, nobody said another word at that meal. I sat there, I ate my soup, caught up, went to my room. It was over. But something came into my spirit that day. And I said, I will go back and I will not quit. When he died, he sent me a photograph. It's in my office. It's a picture of him. He's an old hunched man, and he's got that look in his eyes that I saw that night. If you come up and see it in my office, he's looking at you. He's in China, or in the, I think it's China, and he's looking, and at the bottom there's a little plaque that says, I did not quit. I have it on my wall to remind me that this is not for the faint of heart, that prayer, that serving, that doing what God wants you to do, Requires perseverance. And if we're going to do this, folks, it'll cost you. It'll hurt you. You'll need to persevere. One of the statements of our ministry that I've coined and that I've stolen from him, but we keep it in the ministry, is that perseverance outlasts persecution. I've learned that this attribute is critical to an effective prayer life and a prayer life that will penetrate. God gave me a mandate to build a church, to raise a family, a family of believers that would bring about transformation and reformation in Africa and it would affect the world, starting in the nation of Zimbabwe. He gave me a vision, an open vision. In the early 80s, His goal and the purpose of the gospel is to replicate his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus told his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This kingdom of God, therefore, has to produce evidence, produce evidence to the nations that God sent Jesus. He said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world. As a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. Not only are we to preach every creature, we're to preach and make disciples of every nation. And in so doing, we must represent Christ well. But to do that, to make a disciple of a nation, we must penetrate the cultures in which we live. This passage of scripture I just read, the gospel, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations 
Then the end will come. The word here translated as preached is a Greek word, caruso. And it means to publish or to proclaim. To publish or to proclaim. Can, can I tell you something? To publish or to proclaim is exactly what I think that we need to do more of. I can't describe what I'm sensing when I say those words, publish and proclaim, to this generation. Never before have we had such an opportunity to penetrate the world than we do through the media, through social media, through testimony, through every kind of means possible. Music, video, movies, for the gospel. This gospel shall be published, shall be preached, shall be declared, shall be decreed. And he says, and this testimony, that word testimony is the word in the Hebrew or in the Greek, marturion. We get our word martyr from it. And it means something evidential or an evidence that is given. In other words, it's a factual verification or proof of something. A factual verification or proof of something. You know, many people talk to me about wanting to be effectual in prayer or be powerful or be used in the gospel. Well, that comes when you can be effectual, when you have proof of that gospel in your own life, when that gospel is paramount to you and you're willing to persevere preaching and teaching and being in the front with the gospel, then God says, through your death, through your martyrdom, through you preaching, he can make a huge difference. Some of us would rather creep off into a corner and pray than to stand up and testify, live the gospel. I don't know anybody that's been hurt in a prayer room, but I'll tell you what, when you go out and preach, you get hurt. Your feelings get hurt. You get rejected of men. You're despised. You become a man of sorrows. Is anybody listening to me? Now, I've, been, I've had my feelings hurt in the prayer room a few times. I've had God deal with me in our prayer room a few times. Here's the pertinent question to consider at this point. Has the church to date persevered in the application of the word of God to produce evidence of the rule of God that can be broadcast to all the nations and accurately convey, convey who God is? Certainly we've made headlines. Unfortunately, Often we've made headlines for our ungodly behavior. And there have been a few headlines with proof of God's governance. But Jesus clearly tells us what evidence will convince the world. He says in John 13, 35, By this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. In his last record, his last recorded prayer, before the crucifixion, Jesus gives a second characteristic that we should exhibit as proof to the world of who we are. In John 17, 21, the second half of that verse, he says, that they also may be one in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Love and unity is the key factor that will penetrate and break the power of the enemy in this end times. And if our prayers are not deeply seated in our love for each other. And deeply seated in our desire to be unified. Then I can tell you right now. We can have prayer meeting after prayer meeting after prayer meeting. And I'm not saying God won't answer those prayers. And God does little change substantially. Especially some of the things that we have prayed. Removal of corruption. I don't know. Do you think your prayers have been answered? 
I think it's getting worse from my recollection. Responsibility towards each other, care for each other. Are our hospitals better because of our prayers? Are our streets better and paved? Do we have running water, electric? No. If we were penetrating and the gospel was really taking root, the culture would be affected. That will not happen until we're unified and we really love one another. I love you more than I love myself. Tap your neighbor say, I think he's talking about you right now. So I believe this. I, 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 and, and guys, look, when I teach like this, when I'm going through these things, there's no condemnation. I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm speaking to me as much as I'm talking to you. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at us. I'm just as guilty. Corporate revelation is necessary for corporate practice of the kingdom. And I realize that as a church, therefore we must have this understanding ourselves we must learn to apply this revelation in our own personal lives, in our own families, in our church lives. And, and, and if we can't do it at that level, it will be very hard for us to take this to the nation, to the world. And that's why we're working so hard in this church to work on our relationships with each other. I don't know if you know why we're forcing and working so hard to get everybody in a cell group and everybody to be in a man's group and in a woman's group where you're building relationships and you're working your things out together. You're building in community. You're having to face yourself in front of your peers, in front of your friends and say, oh God, help me to be that man. Help me to put roots down. Help me to be a person who has a cell life. There's life in my cells. My life in this body. And so we're looking at that and we're building that. And we're not doing it by because it's something we, we're trying to do to keep you busy. We're saying, no, 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 we have to build these relationships. Because out of those relationships comes a place where we can begin to be unified. And when we're unified, we can learn to love each other. Our prayers corporately can begin to be powerful and penetrating in the world that we live in. Amen. Now, I have no idea how much time I have left, but I'm going to get a sign right now. Signs and wonders. And then I have 15 minutes to pray, right? After that. That's what I wanted to know. So five minutes. Five minutes. Everybody ready? Are you getting anything out of this? Okay. So, practical application of this kingdom life can really prove to be challenging. It's obvious that for anything to occur corporately, we have to be, everybody must be united in our intent. But I promise you, whenever we get together, I find that frequently people's emotions run high if their personal space is infringed upon. Many of us have grown up with a basic core value in this nation, especially of personal freedom. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. I'm my own person. I have a right to my opinion. I can say what I want to say. It's a free country. We have that attitude. It's pervasive. And in fact, we believe that Christianity supports that view. And I do believe that God supports individuality and the right to be an individual. But he also supports the ability for us to humble ourselves and respect one another, listen to each other, submit one to another. I know that we all talk about, oh, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, a personal Savior. But can I tell you something? As much as that is true, he came to save a church, to build a bride. And the bride is corporate, not individual. Amen?
So I think we also have to understand that a kingdom, which he came to establish, is an entity and an area in which a king rules. And people are subject to that king, not only individually, but corporately. So to live a kingdom lifestyle means to be in submission to a king. Thinking and living with others according to kingdom values, kingdom rules, and having a vision to extend that kingdom. The aim of persevering, the aim of our bunker-busting, surgically accurate, powerful prayers is to extend the kingdom of God in our domain, the domain or the spheres of responsibility that God has given us, both individually and corporately. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to stand up and we're going to take 15 minutes and we're going to pray. We're going to pray. This is a prayer conference. So here's how we want to pray. I want you to think deeply now. Now for some of you, don't hurt anything when you do this. Think deeply about what we've just been talking about. Think about your submission one to another. Think about your love for the body of Christ. Think about your love for your fellow brethren. Think about how unified you are with others around you. Is it surface or is there a depth to the unity that you carry in your heart towards people. Are you working at it? Look, when I started the ministry, we had a, a move of the Holy Spirit. I have to admit, I, I, I can't take credit for that. And we attracted thousands of people and hundreds of people that were in ministry. It's like everybody in the ministry came like moths to a light bulb. And they all wanted what we had. And they all wanted to be a part of it. Or they wanted to draw from it. And so they would join the church for a season. But their motivation was often selfish. How many people they could get into their ministry. How much money they could draw. And, 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 and it grieved me. Because I'm trying to build a body and a flock. And I see these. I won't call them wolves in sheep's clothing. I'll just say ambitious young men and women, sometimes old men and women, trying to further their ministries in a move of God. And it was a move of God. And I have to give God all the credit. And I, I never knew how to deal with that. And I didn't ever deal with it really successfully. But these men and women would come and go. And then some would feign loyalty. Some would actually be, say they were loyal. And, and you would lean on them and you'd build with them. And then after a while they would have an agenda or they would leave. But every time that happened, we, I could tell we weren't unified. I remember at the same time I was working in the city and I was calling 300 pastors at a time together and I was out of my own income and out of my own pocket buying books that I had been blessed by. And I'd buy cases of them and I'd write letters and I'd send it to all these pastors and I'd call them together and we would simply pray, simply say, hey, Let's see if we can be unified. And those meetings were good for about six months to a year. And then I noticed something began to happen. Factions. Criticisms. Oh, he doesn't have his doctrinal. He's, this doctrine's there. And, and, and splits to where we could no longer be together. It just went, it, it, guys went their own ways. Factions. And, and then many of those people it was time at the time of, uh, political upheaval and crisis, and many of them left the country. After splitting, they, they just left, and there was nothing left. And, and what should have been, what could have been, what might have been, in terms of unifying and really being true to our hearts, never took place. And I, I became weary and discouraged and broken, and I asked God, what, what do I do? And then we went through a season of great darkness in this country. Very little unity. Then our major bodies of churches became politicized. Our leaders became political. Siding with factions or 
government or whatever. We lost our way. My prayer was, I said, God, what, what am I supposed to do? And I was speaking with Randy over lunch yesterday, and he, he, he confirmed to me what God's been saying to me. God spoke it to me a long time ago, but it's what I believe is the season now. He said, this will be a season of the return of many prodigal sons and daughters. And he says, our job as fathers, and not, it's not just my job, it's you that are fathers and you that are leaders in your churches. Your job is not to condemn, to point the finger. Your job is to kill the fatted calf, put a robe on their back, a ring on their finger, put shoes on their feet, restore them back to fellowship and say, hey, if your little journey into the wilderness, if your little journey into perdition, if your little journey into self-righteousness or self-seeking or whatever it was has brought you back, what can we do together now? Let's unify our hearts. Let's let Jesus be king. I don't know if you've noticed, but in the past few years, we've moved away from title. We've moved away from all that stuff. We had stadium worship. Every big name in the nation was there. William McDowell. If I go through every prominent singer, every we did stadium worship without introducing one person. When it was your time to worship, when it was your time to pray, when it was your time to sing, when it, we didn't get up and say, and now all protocol observed. No, there was no protocol. There was nothing to observe. It was simply, hey. It's your turn. Go do, go do it. If you have an anointing, it'll show up. If you don't, that's okay too. We love you. Are you listening to me? It's the season where Jesus is more important than I am. It's the season where Jesus is more important than your title. So can we humble ourselves today? Can, for the sake of unity, some of us do a little introspection. For the sake of penetration into the enemy's territory, can some of us put down our grudges, our pride, and say, hey, for the cause of Christ, I'll decrease and I'll let someone else increase. Amen? That's easily said. You'll need to persevere at this. Amen? Let's open our hearts now. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I don't know how to lead this kind of prayer because we're very good at lip service. But Father, I'm asking today that you'd help us deal with matters of the heart. You said, rend your hearts and not your garments. So, Father, we come and we are asking you to help us rend our hearts. Help us to be honest, to face ourselves and to face others. Father, convict us where we have caused love of self to triumph over love of others. Convict us where we have caused or permitted pride to keep us from humbling ourselves and unifying as the body of Christ. Father, help us to walk across bridges. Help us to build those bridges. Help us to resurrect relationships. Help us to persevere in those relationships that would further the cause of Christ and the kingdom. Father, give the leaders in this house, the fathers, the ability to receive sons and daughters without judgment, with open arms, restoring men and women back to their rightful place in the family. Father, help us today. Give us big hearts, big hearts. Give us generous hearts. Let us be generous with each other, Lord. Oh, 
turn to another couple or turn to another person and what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to make a declaration a declaration of life last night we heard that death and life are in the power of our tongues make a declaration of life declare your love declare your desire for unity Declare your purpose for the kingdom, your perseverance, your willingness to penetrate the powers of darkness. Declare it to your brother. Agree with each other. Where two or three agree, they make and form an ecclesia. They, uh, 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 they, they make and form a government where something governmentally, governmentally can be declared. Can we declare these things with each other today? Can we begin? Can, this can be a form of prayer. This can be the form of a declaration that Makes a mark in the heavenlies. You have three or four minutes to do it, then we'll have our next guest speaker. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.